Well, I mentioned this morning in Bible class, if you're with us, that I had this lesson about some things about uh, our relationship with God and bringing us through difficulties and things like that. That, that's tonight's lesson. See, this shows you something about my mind. It only holds one sermon. That's all it holds. It will not hold two or more. So it had this morning's, it held no other. And so I looked at my lesson tonight and went, oh, hey, that's what I had written this week. How about that? <laughs> uh, it makes meeting, going on meetings interesting. You have to preach two in a Sunday morning. That's tough for me because I only hold one in my mind. <laughs> Uh, so that puts us in Second Samuel 7, and we're going to be talking about praising the promise. So we need to set up what had happened earlier then uh, in the first 17 verses of Second Samuel 7. If you remember, we talked about last week in 2 Samuel 7, this is a theologically pivotal text. Not only to the book, but I laid out for you really to the whole of Scripture's. That this promise that is made to David is a promise that certainly is a promise beyond David in so many ways. Remember, David has come to God and is concerned because the Lord is living in a tent while David has his palace and has his paneled home and all of that, a house of cedar. And you have to love God's answer where God just says, have I really ever cared? Have I ever asked? Do I ever need something more permanent or more majestic? Point of that was God does not care about physical structures. He doesn't care about how big they are, how pretty they are. None of those things have any regard to him whatsoever. And then God spins this back upon David and says, rather than you building me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And that is very much the character of God right there. It's not about what you're going to do for me, but look at what I'm going to do for you. And he makes a promise to David that his offspring is going to build him a house, sit on the throne, and and, and reign upon that throne eternally, that God would be a father to this, this offspring of David. And even if he sins, that he's not going to remove his faithful covenant love from them, but that house, that dynasty would continue on. We see pictures of that with Solomon. Of course, Solomon does build a physical house for for God and, and sits on the throne and rules, but we know that that's not a complete fulfillment because Solomon fails at, at, at serving God. And we see him sin and the kingdom then begins to crumble under his reign. We see even the later kings that would come after Solomon, more of the offspring of David, they also fail. They are also not living up to what God was projecting. But the ultimate fulfillment is in Christ, the ultimate offspring of David. That is why Matthew 1 verse 1 begins with Jesus, the Christ, the anointed son of Abraham and son of David, is that he is the pivotal point and us then being connected to David through Jesus Christ we enjoy those blessings and inherit these same promises. So that's a three-minute recap of a 40-minute lesson last week. Now David's response to what God has just promised in those first 17 verses is also highly instructive and critically important. Notice what David then says in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said... Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? 
And yet this is what a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also to your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. His response is highly instructive. And I'm excited to be able to share with you, I think, some of the big pictures of what we see David doing as he responds in this prayer. I think the the initial reaction should just be stunning. The first words out of David's mouth, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house? Immediately what we see with David is he is just stunned by what God has done. God has just made what I think would be fair to say an amazing and ridiculous promise to him. Here David has approached God and said, I want to build you a house. And God has just said, oh, watch this. I am going to build you a house and it's going to be magnificent in what I do for your dynasty and through your offspring is really going to be the salvation of the world, the establishment of the kingdom. The promises of God are going to come to pass. And David just stands back and goes, who am I that you would choose me for that? How would you possibly choose me? Who am I that you would say such things to me Or make such immense promises for my family for generations and generations upon generations. And what I want you to see initially here is one of the fastest ways to humility is by always looking at what God has done. When you are staring at the greatness of God and the glory of God and taking in the promises of God and observing all that God has accomplished and promises still yet to do. 
How can you not stand back and go, who am I that you have done these great things? Who am I that you have made these promises? I believe this is the essence of what God desires in wanting the first day of the week for his people to come together and to remember the son who died for us and all that he's accomplished in the cross and all the promises that were validated and vindicated at the cross and the resurrection, thus proving the future promises to certainly come to pass. To think about what God has done and where he has ultimately brought us. That he has brought us to this very point. To look at our spiritual lives and, and truly think, Who am I that God would look upon me like that? That God would have that much care, that much concern to love that people, that that kind of love for such people, rebellious people, sinful people, wicked people, awful people like us. And David just stands back and just can soak that in and just go. Who am I that you would make these great and precious promises? If you remember, David ultimately started out as a nobody. And he's going to reference that a little bit. We'll look at it not only in a future prophecy, but David even here is giving a sense of that and saying, you know, I recognize that I come from nothing. You know, a son of Jesse, a family by which nobody had any regard for him in that family. He just tends sheep. And now not only has God made him king, but God is now saying, your offspring, this dynasty, is going to change the world. It's going to be through him. Going to build a house. Going to build a kingdom. It's going to reign forever. It's going to change the world. In fact, notice the rest of the sentence at verse 18. Not only who am I, But then he continues and says that you have brought me thus far. Who am I, Lord, that you have brought me to this point? I think that is one of the most important things that we can do in thinking about our lives. Having this kind of life perspective is to truly look at how the Lord has brought us to this point. In fact, I want you to see that. David wants everybody to do that. You'll notice in verse 19, he describes us and says, You have spoken also to your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the instruction for mankind. That word instruction is Torah. This is supposed to be something that will be a teaching moment for all generations that people are going to look at David and what God has accomplished through David to bring him from nothing and carry him to this point thus far. We've been studying David. We've seen how God has protected him. We've seen God do amazing things. When it looked like Saul had him, God would do something to move Saul away from David and protect David throughout this time in bringing him to this moment. And here is David saying, you have made these great promises. You have said these things to me. And I want that to be the instruction for all people. In fact, Isaiah said that. 
I, I love the first three verses, but we can't miss verse four when we talk about Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse one, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. So note this invitation. God is saying, I'm trying to give you something amazing. I'm trying to give you rich food. I'm trying to give you this everlasting living water. Why are you going after things that don't satisfy? It's not real true bread or true drink. You hear Jesus using this when He's standing up and saying, come to Me and drink. Come to Me and find life. And Isaiah is here making this this projected offer, this prophetic offer, in saying that, verse 3, incline your ear and come to Me here and your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Here's this offer. Come to Me, drink, eat, enjoy, be satisfied. And verse 3 says... And I'm going to make with you this covenant. And notice the reference point. My steadfast, sure love for David. Well, what do you want us to see about David? Verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to peoples. A leader and a commander for the peoples. Notice that God through Isaiah is saying... Come to me and I can radically change your life. Don't believe me? Look at David. Look at what God accomplished through David. And this is what David is standing back and saying is, Who am I that you would do this? That you would work like this in my life? That you would do such a radical change and bring me thus to this point. This is what the instruction of David is ultimately about. And I think it is so important to see this picture that even for us, we can start with a spiritual picture and go how God is able to bring us from nothing and carry us all the way to eternity. Who are we that God would make such a promise? And who are we that God would bring us this far? To bring us along to this point and continue to move us toward that goal of what God has promised for us. A little bit later, Isaiah will continue to make that reference before we get to the reading because I didn't want want to have multiple screens. You know the first two verses of Isaiah 61. Jesus unrolls a scroll and quotes it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring the good news. And remember, and he starts describing all the things that the Messiah is going to do. Continuing in verse 3, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. Listen to what Christ is going to do for His people. He's reversing the mourning. He's giving the crown instead of ashes, festal oil instead of mourning. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify them, to glorify Him. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. 
They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be called the Lord's priests. They will speak of you as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and you will boast in their riches. Here is this picture of when Christ comes, massive reversal for people. That He will take people from nothing and He will call them ministers of God, priests of God, servants of God, rebuilding the ancient ruins, God giving purpose to His people. This is what Isaiah is projecting. And this is the whole idea as God uses people to accomplish His purpose. And let me underscore that a little bit more. God uses people who we would consider big nothings, nobodies, to do great things. That's where David's awe is right now. Who am I that you would use me And use my life and my children and their descendants for generations, as he says in verse 19, for a great while to come. Who am I that you would say such things to me and accomplish these great things? It is amazing to think about how God likes to use insignificant, I will do in quotes, Nobody's, I will do in quotes. Because what God likes to do is take the people who think they are nothing and do amazing things. We sit back and go, well, I'm insignificant. God can't do anything through me. I'm too little. I'm a nobody. God can't accomplish anything for me, accomplish things in, in, in my life. But how many times... Do we have to read about God using nobodies to accomplish His will before it will sink in that that's exactly how God operates? For example, who's Noah? (laughs) He's just some guy. But he loves God. And God comes to him and says, you're going to save the world, basically. He's not anybody special. When you turn and read about Noah, what's the grand pedigree of Noah? He's he's the guy of kings, right? No. He's just Noah. You don't even know his his wife's name. That's we don't even know. But there he is doing the will of God. What about a Joseph? Here's an insignificant kid. His brothers don't like him. Keeps getting all these dreams. And through tribulation, difficulty, and hardship, he's going to save the nation of Israel. God's accomplishing things through insignificant people. Who is Moses? Think about Moses. Just born to a Hebrew in Egypt. He's a nobody. Who cares? 
God raises him up to deliver his people. He even knows he's a nobody. He says he can't even do the job. God says, I'm with you, so of course you can do the job. How about Gideon? He's a favorite, right? Gideon, when the Midianites are oppressing the people of Israel, is hiding in a grape vat. God goes to him and says, you're going to be the one to deliver Israel. Gideon's like, you're talking to the wrong guy. You can't be talking to me. Not only will you deliver Israel, you're going to do with only 300 guys. God loves to use insignificant people, people who we look at as nobodies. Who is David? Same thing. Even we saw a few chapters ago from the very beginning when we were in 1 Samuel, where Saul has to ask Abner, who is this guy? Who is this kid? How can he be doing what he's doing? It is so important for us to see that God uses the humble. And I think in speaking about that, it is so important for us to grasp what David is grasping at this moment. He has looked back at his life and he's seen where he started. He's a nobody. He's a shepherd boy. His father doesn't think he's able to be king. He's been on the run for much of his life after Saul's been trying to kill him. And now suddenly the kingdom is established. He's on the throne. God is making great promises to him. And here he is looking at this and saying, who am I that you would make these promises? And how can it be that you have brought me to this point right here. And here's, I think, some of the hardest things that I've had to get my mind around about life. And to get my mind around when it comes to suffering, trials, tribulations, pain, is that God has brought me to right here. He has me right here. Now, I don't know what he's doing, but he has me right here. That's what David's taking a step back and going, who am I, Lord, that you've made these promises and brought me to this point? And to not look at ourselves and go, well, there's nothing that I can accomplish for God that God cannot use me. God has brought each and every one of us to this point right here, right now. He's carried us through. He's brought us through good times. And He's brought us through hard times. And God can use us right here, right now, in that moment. And so often we look at our lives and just go, well, it's all a mess and it's all upside down. And and I'm a mess and I'm upside down. It's all a disaster. To really see that God has put us, here we are, right here. What are we going to do with God? What are we going to do with this moment? And to understand how much that God uses the humble. In fact, can I push it a little bit further? And say that God has brought us through the suffering and the trials and the difficulties to humble us so that now he can use us. Because now we are on our knees before God. And now we aren't standing before God with a look at me, but rather a who am I. That's what God is doing. 
Why does David have to be put through chapters 18 of 1 Samuel all the way to 2 Samuel 2? To bring them to this moment so that David will say, who am I and how can it be that you've brought me to this point? And now you're going to use me right here, right now to accomplish your will. And through my offspring, you have made great promises. And then turns around and says, let that be the instruction for all people. And Isaiah comes along and says, look at David. And I'm making you an offer like that too. Come to him and drink. Come to him and eat. Come to him and enjoy an everlasting covenant. Enjoy. Enjoy what God wants to accomplish. I think we can think too small of God and not see the great things that God is accomplishing. I think this is the essence of verse 19. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. How much is it, verse 18, that you would choose me? Who am I and what is my house that you have brought me to this point thus far? But verse 19, and if that was just like a small thing to you, it's a small thing. That you have taken me back here in my past and put me right here right now. Because God can do so much more in the days ahead. There's more. So he's telling David, there's more. So much more. Remember we saw in the promise beyond even David's lifetime. So much more. That he's going to accomplish not only with David, but through David's descendants. We need this kind of life perspective. This is the perspective that helps in trials, that helps in suffering, it helps in difficulties, is understanding, hey, God's got me here right now. I'm here. And God is using me and working on me and refining me. And this is my moment now. Lord, what are you going to do for me in terms of how I am going to respond to you? How are you going to use me? That's the essence of it. Which is, I think, why you see the rest of the frame of this chapter. Verses 22 through 24. What do you see him doing? He's just praising him. Verse 22. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. You have looked upon me. Who am I that you would even look upon me? You have brought me to this point and there are promises ahead that you have made. God, you are great. You are an amazing God. And thus he says there in verse 22, there's none like you. There's no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, you get the implication. David said, I'm now beginning to see it. I've heard the promises and I've heard what you've done in the past, but you're doing it for me now. I've heard the stories of Moses and of Abraham and of Noah. I've heard of all those in the past, but now you're doing it even for me. How amazing our God is who goes and redeems his people and establishes himself and says to us in verse 24, you are our God. And so what a beautiful hope that is given to us that we are able to praise him because we have been brought to this moment where we can enjoy being his people. Praise him that you can be his people and praise him because he is able to use you for his purpose. Don't think that he can't. He can. He will. He will accomplish great things. He will accomplish his will. 
I chuckle within myself because I just thought, if anybody would have known me as a teenager, and the few of you who know me from college, you'd never think I'd be doing this. No way. No way. God can do stunning things. And He can take you on a journey you never planned. And He can have you do things you never expected. But you've got to let Him do it. Praise Him for what He's able to accomplish. Praise Him because He's able to use you to accomplish His purposes. There is such joy in being able to look and see God accomplish these changes in your life and what He's able to do through you to the world. Not only praise Him, you have to love verses 25 to 29 because did you get the sense of what David then said? Do what you promised. You have made great promises, Lord, so keep your promises. We have seen this in our study of the Psalms where David over and over again, just on the basis of the character of God, God, you be you and you do according to your word and according to your character. And David is doing that right here. You have made amazing promises, so you keep those promises based on who you are and the word that you have proclaimed. And I submit to you that prayer and praise to God becomes the easiest when we are just standing in awe of what He's done. When we take a long enough amount of time to stop looking at ourselves and look at God when we come to Him in prayer, you'll be in awe of Him and it'll be easy to pray. It's easy to pray when you're looking at Him. When you're just soaking in His character. When you're thinking about His promises. Pray toward God about Him. And that's what you see David doing right here. These these five verses. He just says, You have made great promises. Lord, do it according to Your will. You are majestic. You are glorious. How can it be that You would do such things? And so, do these good things that You have promised. Verse 28, You have promised this good thing to Your servant. So do them. Therefore, if it pleases You, You accomplish Your will. So I want to leave you with just two, two applications, two messages. And there are ultimately two questions for us to think about. Question one. What do you want God to do for you? What do you want God to do for you? What I want you to see in David's prayer is what he says is, God, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do your will. I want you to accomplish your purposes. I want you to do what you've said. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray like that. Jesus said, and he gives this model prayer, to pray that God's will would be done here on earth as it is accomplished in heaven. What do we want God to do? Sometimes prayer and sometimes life perspective is us saying, here's God, what I want you to do for me. 
Instead of thinking about the global purposes of God, what do we want God to do? Is it just for me right now in my my shallow life as I think about things? Or am I looking on a bigger level about the will of God? God's will in my life. God's will in this church. God's will in this community. God's will in this country. And God's will across the globe. How do we want to approach God? David's approach is just, God, keep your majestic promises. Do your will. And I believe that our perspective truly changes when we are asking God to use us as a servant. Just how can I be useful as I belong to you? Use me as your instrument. Whatever it is to accomplish your will, you can accomplish it through me. To have that Isaiah, here am I, I'll be the one to go, send me. Is a, a truly a changing perspective. When we are able to look at God and we pray to God and we talk to God and we ask God that I want to be your servant in whatever circumstance I am in. Do you notice that's what Paul said? Here's, here's a passage that's taken totally out of context, but let's, let's shove it back into its context and see what Paul is talking about. Paul here in Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, or have I, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why is he able to do all things through God who strengthens him? Because in whatever circumstance he's saying, God, I'm a servant of yours. If I'm in plenty, then God use me in plenty and abundance. And if I'm in need and I'm in distress, then God use me that way too. I'm here at this moment and God, you use me in this moment. Use me in this circumstance. I'm suffering. God use me in that. Things are great. Use me in that circumstance. Whatever it is. There's where Paul has contentment. Is he's able to look at life and says... God's got me here and he's going to use me here and therefore I will be able to do what I need to do because God's got me right here and I'm going to use it for his glory. That's contentment. God's got me right here right now. And am I going to let him use me? Am I going to raise my hand and say, teach me, let me be a servant, use me how you want to use me? Or is it going to be a different response? Because sometimes in thinking about how this all plays out, there's really ultimately two responses that we can have. David's response is just absolute excitement and amazement, isn't it? I mean, that's really what you see overflowing in David is just this, wow, (laughs) 
Who am I that you would choose me? Who am I that you would accomplish? This is amazing that you would say these things to me, your servant. Will we come to Him and hear these promises that that God is making? That I can use you. You can be a servant of God. You can have purpose in His kingdom. That God can accomplish things through your life. Do we get excited? Or is it... Okay, whatever. There's two responses. You know, you can have the response of Isaiah 55. Come to me and I'm going to give you what life that really satisfies and make this everlasting covenant with you. And I can change your life and use you in my service. And we're like, yes. Do we read that offer and go, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with my toys. You know, I've got my toys and I'm, I'm good right here. And I just like my stuff right here, right now. And I like my little physical bubble. Isaiah 61, you're going to be priests of God. You're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. You're going to reestablish the kingdom and expand the borders. And you're going to be a minister and servant of God. Do we look at that and go, yes, I want to be a part of that mission. Are we so closed off and we're in our world with our stuff, with our jobs, with our schedules. And we're right here, right now in our things. And are we missing what God is able to do for us and through us? What you see in David is praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. And the more that we observe what God is able to do through us, and looking back at how God has brought us to this point, it should just generate all the more praise and all the more prayer And all the more humility. Final passage that I want to give you in thinking about this excitement and this praise that we are able to come to God and see God work through our lives is there's a passage that you see the Apostle Paul that what he says to the Galatians was something that always troubled me. Maybe as we read it, you can catch what would be troubling to me and then we can... Unpack it as we close. Galatians 1.21 Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. That final line, I've always been like, Paul, they glorified God because of you. Isn't that a little high and mighty? (laughs) That a little lottie doll, Paul? Man, yeah, because of me, they glorified God. No. He's doing what David's doing. He's taking a step back and saying, It is amazing that God did a radical change in this guy named Saul in the New Testament. Flipped his life over. And now, people are glorifying God through the work he was doing. And not only through the work he was doing, but notice the quote. This is all they knew. He who used to persecute us is preaching the faith they tried to destroy. 
the change that God had wielded in this man caused other people to glorify God. And the change that God can wield in your life can be used to glorify God. And the work that he can do in your life can be used to glorify God. There is no one too small. There is no one too insignificant. There is no nobody when it comes to God's economy. God can and will use any and everyone who will come to him humbly say, who am I? And let him do his work in your life. He did it with David. And in Isaiah, he said, I'll do it for you too. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, who are we that you would make such promises? It is an amazing thought. It is a humbling thought. Dare I say a frightening thought. That you are able to do such amazing things through us. Lord, we pray that we would be your willing instruments. That you would use us to your glory. Lord, help us to see that you have brought us here wherever we are in our life circumstance, however young or old, rich or poor, life of ease or life of difficulty. You've brought us to that point. And you can use us where we are. Help us to see it. And God, we pray that you would use us. We humbly beg that you would accomplish your will here on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you accomplish your promises across this globe. That your glory would be displayed and that all hearts of all people across the world would turn their lives and open their mouths and confess you as Lord and King. Lord, we 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 going through difficulties in this world right now. Let let this be even be a tool that that would have be accomplished. That through these dark times and these hardships, God, that you would be magnified in all things. And in our personal circumstances, whatever we are at at this moment, God, help us to understand that you are with us. Help us to understand you are there for us and that you have made promises that you can change our lives and bring us to accomplish great things for you. Finally, Lord, forgive us for when we have been so physically short-sighted. Forgive us for thinking about this life and this world and being concerned about our stuff, our schedules, our things, our jobs, our this and that about this world as if, as if these things are important. Help us to always be aware of your kingdom. Help us to be ever cognizant of your global purposes. And Lord, make us instruments to accomplish your will so that your name is glorified in all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing invitation song. We invite you to come to the promises that we've looked at. Amazing promises, amazing offers. I hope that these promises generate excitement in you. 
that cause you to want to praise Him, that cause you to want to pray to Him, cause you to want to be an instrument in the hands of God. It begins by submitting your life to Him, turning away from sin, turning away from self, following your Lord Jesus with all of your heart. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand?